This is section one of Mark Twain A Biography, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Mark Twain A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne, Volume Two. Part one, eighteen seventy five to eighteen eighty six, and part two, eighteen eighty six to nineteen hundred. Read by John Greenman. Chapter 105. Mark Twain at Forty. In conversation with John Hay, Hay said to Clemens, A man reaches the zenith at forty, the top of the hill. From that time forward he begins to descend. If you have any great undertaking ahead, begin it now. You will never be so capable again. Of course this was only a theory of Hay's, a rule where rules do not apply, where, in the end, the problem resolves itself into a question of individualities. John Hay did as great work after forty as ever before, so did Mark Twain, and both of them gained in intellectual strength and public honor to the very end. Yet it must have seemed to many who knew him, and to himself like enough, that Mark Twain at forty had reached the pinnacle of his fame and achievement. His name was on every lip. In whatever environment, observation and argument were likely to be pointed with some saying or anecdote attributed, rightly or otherwise, to Mark Twain. As Mark Twain says, or, you know that story of Mark Twain's, were universal and daily commonplaces. It was dazzling, towering fame, not of the best or most enduring kind as yet, but holding somewhere within it the structure of immortality. He was in a constant state of siege, besought by all varieties and conditions of humanity for favors such as only human need and abnormal ingenuity can invent. His ever-increasing mail presented a marvelous exhibition of the human species on undress parade. True, there were hundreds of appreciative tributes from readers who spoke only out of a heart's gratitude but there were nearly as great a number who came with a compliment and added a petition or a demand or a suggestion usually unwarranted often impertinent politicians public speakers aspiring writers actors elocutionists singers inventors most of them he had never seen or heard of cheerfully asked him for a recommendation as to their abilities and projects. Young men wrote requesting verses or sentiments to be inscribed in young ladies' autograph albums. Young girls wrote asking him to write the story of his life, to be used as a school composition. Men, starting obscure papers, coolly invited him to lend them his name as editor, assuring him that he would be put to no trouble and that it would help advertise his books. A fruitful humorist wrote that he had invented some five thousand puns, and invited Mark Twain to father this terrific progeny in book form for a share of the returns. But the list is endless. He said once, The symbol of the race ought to be a human being carrying an axe for every human being has one concealed about him somewhere and is always seeking 
the opportunity to grind it. Even P. T. Barnum had an axe, the large axe of advertising, and he was perpetually trying to grind it on Mark Twain's reputation. In other words, trying to get him to write something that would help to popularize the greatest show on earth. There were a good many curious letters, letters from humorists, would-be and genuine. A bright man in Duluth sent him an old Allen pepper-box revolver, with the statement that it had been found among a pile of bones under a tree, from the limb of which was suspended a lasso and a buffalo skull this as evidence that the weapon was the genuine allen which bemis had lost on that memorable overland buffalo hunt mark twain enjoyed that and kept the old pepper-box as long as he lived there were letters from people with fads letters from cranks of every description curious letters even from friends reginald chumley that lovely eccentric of condover hall where Mr. and Mrs. Clemens had spent some halcyon days in 1873, wrote him invitations to be at his castle on a certain day, naming the hour, and adding that he had asked friends to meet him. Chumley had a fancy for birds, and spared nothing to improve his collection. Once he wrote Clemens asking him to collect for him two hundred and five American specimens, naming the varieties and the amount which he was to pay for each. Clemens was to catch these birds and bring them over to England, arriving at Condover on a certain day when there would be friends to meet him, of course. Then there was a report which came now and then from another English castle, the minutes of a certain Mark Twain club, all neatly and elaborately written out, with the speech of each member and the discussions which had followed, the work, he found out later, of another eccentric for there was no Mark Twain club, the reports being just the mental diversion of a rich young man with nothing else to do. In following the equator, Clemens combined these two pleasant characters in one story with elaborations. Letters came queerly addressed. There is one envelope still in existence which bears Clemens' name in elaborate design and a very good silhouette likeness, the work of some talented artist. Mark Twain, United States, was a common address. Mark Twain, the world, was also used. Mark Twain, somewhere, mailed in a foreign country, reached him promptly, and Mark Twain, anywhere, found its way to Hartford in due season. Then there was a letter, though this was later, he was abroad at the time, mailed by Brander Matthews and Francis Wilson, addressed Mark Twain, God knows where. It found him after traveling half around the world on its errand, and in his answer he said, He did. Then someone sent a letter addressed, The devil knows where, which also reached him, and he answered, He did too. Surely this was the farthest horizon of fame. Countless Mark Twain anecdotes are told of this period, of every period, and will be told and personally vouched for so long as the last soul of his generation remains alive. For seventy years longer, perhaps, there will be those who will relate personal recollections of Mark Twain. Many of them will be interesting. Some of them will be true. Most of them will become history at last. It is too soon to make history of much of this drift now. It is only safe to admit a few authenticated examples. 
it happens that one of the oftenest told anecdotes has been the least elaborated it is the one about his call on mrs stowe twichell's journal entry set down at the time verifies it mrs stowe was leaving for florida one morning and clemens ran over early to say good-bye on his return mrs clemens regarded him disapprovingly why youth she said you haven't on any collar and tie he said nothing but went up to his room did up these items in a neat package and sent it over by a servant with a line herewith receive a call from the rest of me mrs stowe returned a witty note in which she said that he had discovered a new principle the principle of making calls by installments and asked whether in extreme cases a man might not send his hat coat and boots and be otherwise excused colonel henry watterson tells the story of an after-theatre supper at the brevoort house where murat halstead mark twain and himself were present a reporter sent in a card for colonel watterson who was about to deny himself when clemens said give it to me i'll fix it and left the table he came back in a moment and beckoned to watterson he is young and as innocent as a lamb he said i represented myself as your secretary i said that you were not here but if mr halstead would do as well i would fetch him out i'll introduce you as halstead and we'll have some fun now while watterson and halstead were always good friends they were political enemies it was a political season and the reporter wanted that kind of an interview watterson gave it to him repudiating every principle that halstead stood for reversing him in every expressed opinion halstead was for hard money and given to flying the bloody shirt of sectional prejudice watterson lowered the bloody shirt and declared for greenbacks in halstead's name then he and clemens returned to the table and told frankly what they had done of course nobody believed it the report passed the world night editor and appeared next morning halstead woke up then and wrote a note to the world denying the interview throughout the world printed his note with the added line when mr halstead saw our reporter he had dined it required john hay then on the tribune to place the joke where it belonged there is a lotus club anecdote of mark twain that carries the internal evidence of truth saturday evening at the lotus always brought a gathering of the wits and on certain evenings hens and chickens nights each man had to tell a story make a speech or sing a song on one evening a young man an invited guest was called upon and recited a very long poem one by one those who sat within easy reach of the various exits melted away until no one remained but mark twain perhaps he saw the earnestness of the young man and sympathized with it he may have remembered a time when he would have been grateful for one such attentive auditor at all events he sat perfectly still never taking his eyes from the reader never showing the least inclination toward discomfort or impatience but listening as with rapt attention to the very last line douglas taylor 
one of the faithful Saturday night members, said to him later, Mark, how did you manage to sit through that dreary, interminable poem? Well, he said, that young man thought he had a divine message to deliver, and I thought he was entitled to at least one auditor, so I stayed with him. We may believe that for that one auditor the young author was willing to sacrifice all the others. One might continue these anecdotes for as long as the young man's poem lasted, and perhaps hold as large an audience. But anecdotes are not all of history. These are set down because they reflect a phase of the man and an aspect of his life at this period. For at the most we can only present an angle here and there, and tell a little of the story, letting each reader, from his fancy, construct the rest. End of chapter 105, Mark Twain at 40, read by John Greenman.